<laughs> well, we are launching a new series this morning called Christianese. Christianese, uh, not Christian essay. That's a Hispanic brother in Christ. Uh, Christianese. Um, and Christianese is uh, the insider language of our faith. And we're going to spend this summer. Um, we're going to spend this summer going over some of the words and phrases that we use um, that make a lot of sense to us, but not a lot of sense to people who didn't grow up in church, maybe. Um, and, and by the way, uh, this summer, we're, we're coming into a time of, of, of summertime at the church. We switch things up during summer at the church. We stop doing some things. We start doing some things. And, and you'll need to pay close attention uh, to what we're starting and stopping and all that good stuff so you don't miss out. I just want to let you know, you can find out what's going on at the church. There are three main ways. The first way is if you are on Facebook, our church Facebook page, we post at least once a week, usually twice different stuff. We let you know when the sermon's available. We let you know about announcements. If you are not a Facebook fan and you don't want a Facebook account, that's fine. Go to our website, vfcthomasville.org, and you'll see a section that says uh, latest news. That's our Facebook feed. So you don't have to have Facebook to see our Facebook feed. Uh, And and it's going to tell you the latest stuff, like about Christian T-shirt Sunday, uh, about things like that that are going on. Um, In addition, we also have a texting program that's on the back of your bulletin at the bottom. There's a number you can sign up with, and we don't overdo it at all. We send out maybe one text a week. Uh, If there's a really big deal, maybe two a week, and that's it. And so, and you can always unsubscribe. So we just we don't want anyone to be left out. And so, if you will, make sure that you're paying attention to what's happening here. Okay. Because um, I'm super excited about Christianese. I'm, I'm super excited about this. And this morning, we're kicking off Christianese with part one. That was so anointed. Have you ever said that before? That was so anointed. Well, we're going to talk about what that means. First of all, I want to officially uh, define what Christianese is. Christianese is the insider language of the Christian faith. We use words and phrases that mean certain things to us, but they don't make sense to people outside of our faith. And we want to be a church that's very aware and very loving of people outside of our faith, right? Because it's our goal to have them connect with Jesus. We are matchmakers, and we want other people to know who Jesus is. Um, you know, in, before I was in full-time ministry here at the church, I was in part-time ministry, and I actually worked for a software company. It was actually the software arm of a media research company. And this media research company had all these little terms and our own special jargon that made sense to us. Uh, it wouldn't be uh, uncommon at all for me to talk to one of our clients, and they would say things like, well, I need to achieve a certain amount of grips, but I need to stay within a certain CPP range. Well, I knew exactly what that meant when they said that. Gr- grips were gross rating points, and CPP was cost per person, how much it costs to reach, uh, cost per point, how much it costs to, to reach 1% of the population. And I know that y'all are checking out right now, but that was our jargon, and we knew what that meant, okay? We, we knew what a cost per point was and how, it, how, how you could achieve that. We would just speak in this insider language, and some, I worked from home all these years, and sometimes... Sometimes Tiffany would be walking through the home office, and I'm on the phone, and she's listening to me, and I sound like I'm speaking gibberish. 
And many of you, whether you're nurses or, or whether you, 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 uh, you work in, uh, as an accountant or, or maybe you work at school, but there are all these different phrases that you use, right, in, in your job that make sense only in the context of that job. And so it's the same in Christianity. We, we want to make sure that we don't just speak insider language, but we define these things. And so we're going to talk about that was so anointed, anointed. Now, usually when this is said, it's used as a compliment, which is a good thing. Maybe about a song, someone sings a song and it was great, and you say, wow, that was so anointed. Or maybe the preacher preaches a great sermon or something, and you say, pastor, that was just so anointed, right? And, and it's great, and it's wonderful that it's a compliment, but being anointed is not just Christianese for you being blessed by something. It actually means something, and it means something really important to the body of Christ. So let's talk about what does it mean to be anointed. When the Greek, the word anointed, it literally means to be smeared on or to be rubbed on. It literally means that there's a substance that gets smeared on and rubbed all over you. That's kind of odd, isn't it? So if someone sings a song and it's really, really good, you could say, Sister, that song was super smeared. Really, really smeared. You are so smeared today. That was really rubbed, brother. I'm telling you, that sermon of yours, right? So that's what you're actually saying when you say anointed. It means that you are being, uh, you're having one substance that is being applied to you. Well, what are you anointed with? Where well, you're anointed with the anointing. So what is the anointing, right? Well, the anointing is the resulting empowerment of the believer that comes from direct contact with the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the resulting empowerment of the believer that comes from direct contact with the Holy Spirit. See, the anointing of the Holy Spirit enables you to do something you otherwise couldn't do without him. I like to think of it this way. If we boil it down to just a pithy statement, I would put it this way. The anointing is the presence of God producing the purpose of God. The anointing is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, God here manifests with you that produces the purposes of God in your life. This is what the anointing is. Now, I've heard the anointing, and you may have heard this before, uh, defined as the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Has anyone ever heard that before? The burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Okay, that's a great definition, but it's actually limited to only ministry. The anointing of God is burden-removing. It is yoke-destroying, but that's only within the context of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, you can be anointed to be an amazing parent. You can be anointed to be an incredibly successful business person. You can be anointed to encourage a friend as they walk through a difficult season. You can be anointed to walk through a difficult situation or a tough season yourself. See, the Holy Spirit anoints you, smears his presence all over you for the, for the intention of producing your purpose in you. And this is what the anointing is. Now, we pick up on this, and someone sings or someone preaches or someone does, preaches or does something, and we think, well, that was so anointed. And it's true, but it's anointed not because they were a good singer or a good preacher. It was anointed because the Holy Spirit activated it with his presence. 
and it has brought about purpose in the life of the person ministering and in the recipient. Does, does that make sense? Are you with me? So that's what the anointing is. Now, there's also a negative, and we don't have time to get into this, there is actually a negative demonic anointing as well. I mean, I mean there, there is an anointing uh, where you do the opposite of kingdom work. Now, of course, Jesus is our model in all things as Christians, as Christ followers, and Jesus was anointed. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ, we call him Jesus Christ, we kind of treat it like it's his last name. And Christ obviously is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. Actually, Christ Jesus is probably the way that we would say it, because in English we usually put the title first, Dr. Smith. Okay? So we would say Christ Jesus. But the word Christ in Greek, it means the anointed one. The anointed one. The one who has been smeared all over with the presence of God for the purpose of redeeming the people of God. That's who Jesus is. And that's what the word Christ means. So we see in scripture that he was anointed. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 4, this is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and he turns to Isaiah 61, what we know is Isaiah 61 now. He reads it and then he says, this is about me. (laughs) It was really one of those drop the mic moments in his ministry. And he reads this from Isaiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. He's been smeared all over me. To bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to, to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus took the job description of the Messiah from Isaiah 61 and applied it to himself. And in that job description, it says that he was anointed. He was anointed. Okay, by the Holy Spirit for a certain task. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed, for God was with him. So Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. You see how that works? And so Jesus was anointed, and so therefore you, as a follower of Jesus, can be anointed as well. And it's the same. The Father anoints you through the Holy Spirit, okay? And so this is what being anointed is. So I want to spend the rest of our time, I want to give you four ways to be anointed, four things to do in order to be anointed. How many of you want to be anointed by the Holy Spirit? Yeah. How many of you want the anointing? Absolutely. So, so, so we need to learn how to be anointed. And the first way is this, is you live in agreement with God's calling on your life. You live in agreement with God's calling on your life. Now see, scripture says over and over and over and over that you were created for a purpose, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that God created you with specific works, a specific mission, a specific calling and destiny in mind. Okay? Scripture says that before we were even born, God knew us and he appointed us. And we see in in the Old Testament, several Old Testament prophets and kings, they were anointed for specific tasks as well. It's no different for you. 
But you're not going to receive the anointing of the Lord for your task until you come into agreement with that task. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 2 Corinthians 6, 1 are interesting passages. The Apostle Paul is writing them both. And in both verses, he uses a word. He actually calls himself a co-worker with God. Now, we're being all serious right now, but that's kind of funny. Can you imagine if you go to work tomorrow and all of a sudden at the water cooler, Jesus shows up getting water? Hey, did you see the game yesterday? Jesus was one of your co-workers? Jesus, hand me that wrench, <laughs> Right? That'd be a little odd. But Paul describes himself and you guys as well as co-workers with God. You see, you are called to work with and to partner with God. This means that you do things intentionally that align with his desire for you. You reorient, you recalibrate your life to come into alignment with what he's saying. Are you with me? Think about it this way. If we want the anointing of God, we've got to declare uh, our purpose in God, and then the power will come. You make the decision, he provides the power. Are you with me? Think about this. Have you ever like, gotten a new computer, and you plug the thing in to the wall, right, and you get everything set up, and the monitor's set up to the tower, and you get your keyboard all set up, and your mouse, and I, I kind of nerd out when I get to do this. It's fun. And you're setting up this new computer, and then you're like, all right, now I can type an email. Well, not yet. You don't have any power yet, right? You don't have any power yet. you got to press the power button, right? And, that, and then you got to go through the booting process, and you got to pull up your, your program that you're going to use and all that. And in the same way, the power, the anointing for your calling comes after you hit start. Some of you need to hit start. Some of you need to hit start on your calling, on what God has called you to. You, you, don't, even know, you don't even know your spiritual gifts. You're just flailing around hoping you make enough money to pay your bills, and it's so far beneath what God has for you. He's waiting on you. The power is available. I mean, you can have that computer hooked up, plugged in, but until you hit the power button, there's no juice. It's not going to turn on. And so you've got a purpose. You've got a destiny, but you've got to hit start. You've got to live in agreement with God's calling on your life, and then he'll provide the power which is his anointing. Are you with me? Okay. Here's the second way to live anointed, is you protect God's anointing on your life. So just like when we live in agreement with God's calling, we're actively doing those things. We're pressing the power button, right, on our calling. In the same way, you protect God's anointing on your life by not doing the things that will go against God's anointing, thereby hindering it. Are you with me? So let's look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading in the New King James Version. 1 John 2, look at verse 27. It talks about the anointing that we all have. You know, some people are like, well, you know, Jamie, I'm just not really anointed. I'm not as anointed as Blake is for worship. Well, you may not have that gift, but you're anointed. Scripture says that everyone's anointed. Look at it. 1 John 2, 27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You have an anointing according to Scripture. 
So the anointing that you have received from him, Jesus, abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as he as just as it, the anointing, has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, I know that gets a little wordy here. So first of all, it says, it says, the anointing that you have received, you will not need that anyone teach you. Now, this is not talking about, like, teaching on doctrine. All throughout Scripture, it says you need others to teach you doctrine. Paul actually says, hey, if anyone teaches you something other than what I've taught you, like, ignore them. He goes, if an angel comes down from heaven and teaches you contrary to what I've taught you, don't listen to it. Okay, this is true doctrine. So we do need people to teach doctrine. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about that the anointing is the guide throughout your daily life. You don't need someone in your, okay, now turn right, turn left. All right, now go do this. Eat this for breakfast. Go here for lunch. Call someone. You don't need, you've got the anointing inside of you that does that. You don't need a person to micromanage your life. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher in life. That's what this is talking about. Then at the end, it says something interesting. It says, you know, you've got the anointing inside. It's going to, he's going to, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things. And just as he has taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, to the degree that you obey the voice of the Holy Spirit is the degree that you'll have the anointing. You with me? That, so it's, it's up to you. I love the way the message paraphrase ends this. It says, live deeply in what you were taught. See, many of us, we want to blend what the Holy Spirit is saying, what the anointing is leading us to do, and our own desires. Have you ever been around someone, don't point any fingers, that's just got stanky breath? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like everyone's got bad breath at times, right? But I'm talking about it's just like singeing your nostril hairs. And you're, you're sitting there talking with someone. And they're like, hello, hello to be his name. And you've got tears running down your eyes, right? It's like, did you chop onions before coming to church today? Like, what did you do? Like, how does that happen to someone? Y- y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I think the only thing worse than that just absolute <laughs> terrible breath is when someone uses a weak little mint to try to cover it up and it doesn't get the job done. Now you've got a blend of like death and life. You know what I mean? Now you've got like this terrible smell and just a little bit of peppermint, but it ain't working, you know? It's not getting the job done. It's still being overpowered. I think that's what many Christians smell like to the world. I think we have just enough anointing to say that we've got it. Just enough obedience to say, well, I'll I'll follow the Holy Spirit, but we still smell like death. If you've been around a, a a young teenage boy, you've probably experienced the unique smell of the blending of body odor and Axe body spray. It's a very unique smell that I don't recommend. And I genuinely think I prefer the body odor by itself than the attempting to mask it uh, with, with something that can't get the job done. Look, we, we've got to protect the anointing on our life. I actually chose to do anointing today on Christian T-shirt Sunday on purpose. Because the anointing has come upon us. Just like, you know, we put on shirts and stuff today. 
But we get the chance, if we want to, to cover up this anointing. So I've got here an additional shirt. So here, hold this for me. So I've got an extra shirt here. And, you know, let's just say y'all need Jesus is the anointing for evangelism. Now, that's not the best way to evangelize, by the way. The best way to evangelize is to tell everyone, I need Jesus, and to demonstrate humility to them. And they'll go, I want that, by the way. That's just how it works. But let's just say I have the anointing. But I decide, through my actions, to put on another shirt. Okay? All right, and there we go. Now, it's covered up the anointing that, that the Father has for me. Now, am I still anointed for the task? I am. You just can't see it. Because we've covered up. We haven't protected the anointing that the Lord has placed on our lives. We've allowed other things to compete with that anointing. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is going to be awkward. There we go. It's not that bad. Not that bad. All right, number three. Y'all still with me? Okay. How to be anointed. The third way is to embrace the breaking that releases the anointing. To embrace the breaking that releases the anointing. If you look in Mark chapter 14, there's a beautiful moment in Jesus' ministry where a woman, uh, we'll read it here in just a second, where a woman breaks uh, a jar um, of, she actually breaks an alabaster box over the Lord and anoints him. And so let's read this. Mark 14. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar. Uh, King James is going to say alabaster box. Jar is actually a better translation. Vile um, is another way of saying it. A flask would be another way of saying it. It was made of alabaster, of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. And there's this whole conversation, which is, has a lot of meaning, but we can't get into it now. But the purpose is, back then, oils that were used for anointing, uh, precious perfumes and fragrances, they were kept in these flasks these jars that were sealed shut permanently. So it's not like you could, like if you're drinking a water bottle and you take off the top, you take a sip and you put the top back on, right? It's not like that. It was like a permanent seal. And the only way to get access to the oil, to the the fragrance inside is it had to be broken. It had to be broken. It was a forever choice to break that. Once you broke the box, once you broke the flask, the vial, it was broken. Right? You can't put glass back together. You can't put this. Alabaster was actually not glass. It was actually more like granite that this thing is in. It was softer granite. And so she broke it. And then the flask was forever broken. But it was in the breaking that the anointing oil was released. This will make sense to the guys. Um, I don't know much about women's clothing, so I apologize, ladies. But guys... Have you ever bought a new dress shirt? And, you know, your regular shirts are just hanging up on a hanger. But the dress shirt comes, like, super mummy-wrapped with stuff. Like, there's, like, 18 pins and, like, 
like this paper in it and, and cardboard. And by the time you're done, you know, 30 minutes later, unwrapping the shirt, there's this huge mound of trash that was associated with unwrapping, right, the shirt. And I always think, I don't know who puts this together, but I could not, you couldn't pay me to put this back together the way it was. Because you've got to unwrap the shirt, right? And then you can use it. In the same way, there is a holy breaking, there's a holy unwrapping that happens in the life of the believer where we learn, sometimes painfully, the art of yielding to the Lord and being broken before him. It's in that breaking that the anointing is released. Just like the alabaster jar had to be broken. It's, it's a forever thing, you guys, where you say, I am choosing to be broken before the Lord. As a matter of fact, and this is just so crazy how the Lord works. I didn't know this until I was studying for this. But in Luke 4, when Jesus is reading Isaiah 61, he says one of the jobs of the Messiah uh, is to bring healing to the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted is just broken. It's the exact same word of what this woman did with the alabaster box, with the alabaster jar. It's the same breaking. It literally means shattered. Shattered. Look, I, I know you don't like some of the life circumstances you're probably going through right now. I, I know, believe me. I know we, we try to avoid pain. I get that. But I need you to understand is that there's a blessing on the other side of the breaking. If you can learn to embrace the breaking that's happening in your life, whether you feel like it's from God or not, that there will be an anointing, an overwhelming presence of God that will be poured out and propel you into your purpose. Break yourself for the sake of the anointing, and he will put you back together again. Amen? So we, we, we will be anointed when we embrace the breaking that releases his anointing. And lastly, we let God reapply regularly, right? The fourth way that we are anointed is we let God reapply. You know, this, for some reason, and I think it's just because we have a, such a strong desire to see people come to Jesus, that we begin to focus on the prayer. You know what I mean? Okay, just pray this prayer to me. All right, yay, you did it. You know, Scripture, the Apostle Paul talks about those of us that are being saved, not have been saved. Those of us that are being in other words, it, this, this Christian walk is a process. It's not a one-time event. I love Acts 4.31. They just went through. So Acts chapter 2 the, the, is the beginning of the church. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. All, all sorts of amazing miracles and stuff are happening. Paul pre, uh, Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. It's awesome. The first mega church, Right? It's the first day of the church. There's a mega church. And so, uh, and so Peter preaches. All these people get saved. And then um, they get thrown in jail. They get, they get out of jail. They have a prayer meeting. All right. And they don't pray for protection. That's what I would have prayed for. They pray for more boldness. <laughs> hey, Lord, you know that thing that got us put in jail? We want more of that. So they pray for more boldness. And then verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, wait a minute. Weren't they already all filled with the Holy Spirit just two chapters ago? Absolutely. You mean they got filled with the Holy Spirit again? Uh-huh. They sure did. 
In Ephesians, we are told to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. The, the actual, in the Greek language there, it's, it's, a, it's a, a conjugation that's a, a continual present. In other words, you could, you could, instead of be filled with the Holy Spirit, you could say be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant thing. It's a regular thing. Okay? And so we are called to let God reapply his anointing. His anointing. And what were the disciples doing? They were praying. They were spending time with the Lord. That's how you do it. You let him reapply your anointing. And, and you line up, you, you align yourself, you live in agreement with his calling. And, and you protect that anointing. You don't let anything else cover it up. Cover up the covering he's placed in you. And then you embrace the breaking. And you let him reapply. You, now hear me, you are anointed. You are anointed. Amen? My question for you is this. Are you pursuing the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Or are you just, just doing life? Hoping it all works out? Or are you pursuing the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Let's stand for prayer.